Have <laughs> I lost you already? The French chef. Oh, yes, yes, yes. See, carbface. Um, S. Carbfacio. I like, I like your flowers. Yeah, me too. Thanks. I got them from my UK publisher. Good job, UK I'm publisher. Hold them up because today, or maybe yesterday, I'm not sure. I think yesterday was yeah. the official publication date for. Bourdain in stories in the UK, Australia, and New Zealand because they do not like the word oral. <laughs> so it is the same book as the definitive oral biography, but over there it's called Bourdain in stories. Couple follow-ups. Couple follow-ups. Sure, hit me. Did they? Did they? Any? Any thoughts on why they don't like oral? I mean, I think because they all like they all do too much fucking cocaine over there, okay, at, like that's in a fine. real casual way, and I think sure. that makes it hard to perform or be interested mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. oral sex. That's fair. And follow another follow. Sure. Did they at any time did the word anal come up as an alt? The definitive anal biography. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. Oh. It's a simple no. I mean, sure. you can say no. Yeah, I, and that's going to be a no. But you know what? Let's uh, f- tuck that away for future, maybe a future Carb Face title. The oral, right. the anal biography <laughs> of Carb Face. I smell an episode title. Won't our friends who directed the Julia Child documentary be so thrilled if we call this episode anal biography? <laughs> The anal documentary. We do. We do have some guests. We did an interview. Mm-hmm. We did with some very smart, serious, and accomplished people. I have no idea why they wanted to be on our podcast. I, I can't understand. I it, have but... to assume they hadn't listened to it. Uh, oh but you no! Know but what? they did. They gave us a compliment. Did they? Oh, that, it's, that it's the best name of a podcast that they've been on this week. Yeah, and so you know what we say to marketplace. Suck my balls. Suck my balls, Guy Rizdahl. Yeah. That's what we say. His... Guess who fucks now? Our, our guests coming up are Julie Cohen and Betsy West. They are the directors of Julia. A documentary. A documentary. About Julia Child. About Julia Child. And and uh, you had the brilliant idea. Did I? Or was it you? You did. Oh. No, you did. Mm-hmm. And then I built on your brilliant idea. Okay. Of let's go back and and watch another Julia episode. Yeah. People like it. People like People it. Do like it. Lori, can I show you my flowers? Please. Okay, and and this is a is that visual code medium. For something gross. No, okay. no, it's just flowers. Okay. Just flowers. So I brought in my plants from outside. So my jasmine plant is I there. See, beautiful. I love that. Now yeah. get ready. Get oh. ready. Holy fuck! Whoa! <laughs> well, you're like. Astonished by your own plants. What kind of beautiful red flowers are they? Oh, it's a uh, Mandevilla, Mandevilla. Great. Mandevilla. Yeah, I I played that in the fucking fourth grade. (laughs) I know you did. (laughs) No, you did. You're the first chair. Fought in the Spanish Revolution. What I'm really excited about and what looks 
truly terrible, like on a showgirls level, is the Gucci movie with Lady Gaga oh, and Adam Driver and an utterly unrecognizable Jared Leto in a fat suit. I am so excited for that, and I shouldn't be. It is. I mean, they could not, even with the preview, make it look like anything but a hot pile of trash. And baby, that's speaking my language. I think I'm ready for a hot pile of trash. Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah, just we haven't had a cats for a while. Right. Maybe we'll see their buttholes in this one. You don't know. I mean, I one would hope one release the butthole cut. No, somebody uh, somebody asked me that like desert island question or you know last supper historical you could have dinner with anybody question which I should have thought I should have known that somebody was going to ask that but I didn't have a great answer uh, teed up I think I said Phyllis Diller Good. and uh, Rip Torn great and uh, who else is dead Michael Jackson no I didn't say that I didn't say any of those names um, oh I actually thought Phyllis Diller or Rip Torn would that would be a that would be great. a hell of a dinner oh my god oh my god you have some fucking uh, eggs Lori, and can aspic can I ask you a question yeah <laughs> can I ask you a question who, who would you want for like you know if you could have dinner with anyone who would it be you know what I said, actually, mm. now that I'm thinking about it, I said, this is obviously, it was a, a an interview about the book Bourdain. So I said, well, I would really like Tony to come back and fucking have dinner with nice, me. Nice. And our friend Alicia Tobin from Retail Nightmares. Oh, great. And my dead cat, Gilbert. <laughs> That's so nice. And I think that That's really so threw nice. Ed Levine right off. He was like, huh, okay, nobody's ever said a pet before. I was like, well. Well, Ed. Get on board. Gilbert would sit right in my lap and I would have a good old time. So can I tell you the the funny story? I heard you had a funny story. I have a funny story. It's a quick one. It's a, it's a cautionary tale about using your phone and making sure that you know exactly what you're doing when you use your phone. This happened to a friend of mine. A couple years ago, let's say five years ago, my friend went to a restaurant in Manhattan that I will not name. And, uh, it was, there was a bit of a shit show at the door. There was a, he had a reservation and it was just a crazy night. They had overbooked or people were running late or, you know, all of the factors that go into making, uh, reservations not run on time. So he had to wait, I think over an hour past his reservation time for his table. This was pre COVID. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he was patient about it, but was like, you know, come on guys, you know, I, uh, I think, you know, let it be known that he was a little disappointed and was hungry and, you know, ready to sit down and didn't love having to just stand in the vestibule for over an hour waiting for the table. Um, and the, uh, very competent and very empathetic general manager said, I'm, I understand. I am so sorry. Uh, I totally understand that, that you've had an uncomfortable experience, uh, please give me your number and I'm going to give you my number and I'm going to arrange uh, for you to something. I don't know. It was a gift certificate for a future date or some kind of thing that she was going to personally arrange. She couldn't really do all of the details of it in the moment because she was very, very busy with a full restaurant. Yeah. But she said, I promise you, uh, you know, text me tomorrow and we will get, we will make this right for you. Great. And he said, okay, great. Thank you. Uh, and I think he did follow up the next day and she, you know, replied and said, you know, here's a, 
I'm going to email you a gift certificate or something to that effect. And he said, great, thank you. I, I can't wait to go back. I, I did really enjoy the food. And, I, you know, once we sat, I had a great experience. About six hours later, his phone buzzes, picks it up. It's a text from this manager describing in real graphic terms a bowel movement that she has just <laughs> made. <laughs> and he goes, think we were friends like that (laughs) (laughs) writes back to her and says I think maybe this was meant for somebody else and I assume that she just then immediately died and (laughs) which is what I would have done what if it wasn't meant for somebody else (laughs) (laughs) she's like oh I'm sorry did I did I not read the vibes correctly is this not what you're into I was actually, this was a, this is our tasting menu for the, for the <laughs> night that you're coming back in. Anyway. Great. Yeah. Great. So Perfect. yeah, the point is, and, story. and I have myself, uh, I recently texted a, uh, fairly high level celebrity, a request to come and feed my cat when I was out of town. <laughs> Who was it? Name names, name names. Who did you do that to? It was BJ Novak. <laughs> <laughs> Whom I had been in contact with because he moderated a a book event that I did. So I was like, hey, going out of town. You know, these are the dates I need you for. Can you come and do the usual, you know, take care of Moxie? And he wrote back and was like, I wish this was for me, but I'm thinking it's probably for somebody else. I was like, no, no. Would you like to come from L.A. (laughs) for $20 a day? Take care of my cat. Uh, so that was, you Perfect. know, that was embarrassing, but slight. And, you know, I'm just thinking like all of the ways that it could have been That's so sweet. much worse. You know, the problem is when you text on your, I find when I text on my laptop is when I make mistakes. Uh, the mm, phone mm. interface is different, but the laptop, you can get real fucking sloppy. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. Cause so, you can be thinking you're responding to somebody, but you're responding right. to two messages down. Agree yeah. completely. Yeah. Great stories. Yes. Really appreciate that. started this uh, return to form with the second episode of the first season of The French Chef with Julia Child, in which she makes French onion soup. That's incredible. Did you watch it? I did. I did. I watched it today to make sure, and I took lots of notes. So if you would like to watch it, you can definitely get a PBS membership and watch it there. If you want to go through Amazon, they have an add-on for $2.99 a month here in the U.S. So you can watch it. Or on this episode, you could just Google it because it's out there streaming places. So, you know, we certainly want people to get paid and... um, you can also Google and it's there. What did you think of this episode overall? Spirited. Yeah. And at times, many times, chaotic. Oh my God. <laughs> it was, it was so energetic. Yeah. Spirited, yes. Mm-hmm. Breathless once again. Mm-hmm. Uh, exhausted within 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Loved it. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I, I th- I loved it. Sure. I loved it. Uh, but yeah, it was super chaotic. And also at the end, I think she then was like, oh shit, I've got five more minutes. Yeah. I'm going to talk about 
everything on this table, which has literally nothing to do with French onion soup. I'm going to describe each ingredient uh, of this massive buffet, which she says is a perfect light supper. It's literally lunch for like 45 women at the country club. (laughs) She's like, oh, we'll get to it. But she's like, oh, you could put bread in there or you could put four pieces of bread and then an egg, which blew my mind. All right. So this episode starts out in a really unusual way from the first episode. Well, cold open. Yeah, she's doing she's putting putting the finishing touches on top of the soup and Mm -hmm. getting ready to put it in the oven. It was incredible. Yeah. She sounded annoyed and a little bit like, like a child had wandered into the kitchen and was like, what are you doing? What are you and she's doing? like, I'm chopping onions for French onion soup. <laughs> just zero warmth. Just kind of like, get the fuck out of my face. And I loved it. I loved it. It made I, me. I it made did. Me I wrote, I feel. love it. I wrote, <laughs> I wrote, I love it in all caps. It's so good. She tells us, no, I'm going to do it in my attempt and then you can correct it. But she says, this is soup. Mm-hmm. I'll onion gratiné. Like she really goes for it. Now, mm. I don't know how to say it in French, but uh, that's that's my interpretation of it. She begins with putting finishing the touches on the soup. She's putting some cheeses on top, little bit of oil. Mm-hmm. She lets us know exactly what we're in for. Cue yeah. the delightful music. How yeah. are you feeling about the theme song? We'll play it right here. Sure. How are you feeling about it? You know, the same. I feel a little bit mm. condescended to. Yes. I feel that it has very little to do with the French chef. Again, mm-hmm. I am, I am, you know, envisioning some of the more um, harrowing scenes from Little House on the Prairie. I'm thinking of the fire. I'm thinking of the way they blew up the Mary, whole town. Mary, my baby, my baby. Yeah. yeah all of, all yeah. of, you know, all of the worst things about Little her, House her on the Prairie. Her hand goes through the window. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Mrs. Olson just being mm-hmm. an absolute cunt. Uh, all those if you things. Mean, if you mean a hero here on earth, then sure. yes, I yeah. agree. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So don't love the music, but I understand that whatever they had like there were only four songs that had been written and recorded at that point in human history so they had to choose one of them the other four were the other three were even worse um the The hills go ahead the black and white of it all and you know this is no one's fault this is just the way things were back then but i mean at some point she shows us a pot of um of onions there's a swap out this is the first time we've seen a swap out i think Maybe not. I don't care. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, she, she's not cooking she, real time this time. Right. Nice. You can't. I mean, no. I, you know, she does. She does get at the, the point. I don't know if she actually says it out loud, but she gets at the point that like it takes a long time to caramelize oh, yeah. onions correctly. She's oh, like, and you don't want to wait around for 25 she does. minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but when she shows us a pile, uh, a pot of, of darkly caramelized onions, it could be lawn clippings. It could be vomit. <laughs> it could be a pile of deep fried goldfish. It could be. There is no sense of what. And then she goes, and they're a lovely mahogany color. And I'm like, are they? Because they look black to me. Yeah, this is something that uh, is covered in the documentary about Julia, where they they use full color, right? Full color to show the food and and to show it active. And and, uh, boy, this black and white does not do some of her food service. And I... 
I think there's also, you know, a, a, things aren't clear, are they? Right. It all feels a little fuzzy, but, but you know, that's PBS technology back then. I, the good news for me and only me, Hills Brothers are back. Yes. Baby. Yes. They're back as sponsors. And I was like, fuck yes. There they are. Now, I did start to, in my mind, think about the Hills Brothers. And I don't think they love each other. I was going to say, I don't think they're good guys. Mm-mm. No, no. I think there's a lot of evilness there. And they hurt, have hurt everyone in their life mm-hmm. in their lives and they are together um sitting on a porch destitute mm-hmm. by the end of their lives mm-hmm. um sitting in silence until they die yeah i love and that. that's how i pictured it of course uh, also thinking about sitting in silence until they die is the polaroid corporation they are mm-hmm. also uh one of the wonderful sponsors so it was, mm-hmm. it was great to have them Mm -hmm. uh then then julia does some uh quick fake cleaning up and straightening during the opening while we hear about the sponsors and then jesus fucking christ she's chopping onions right next to the mic yes yeah in a real like there's such chaos on the cutting board she's not like clearing them off into a side Uh bowl Uh they don't look great and it's nope. just a, it's just a mess. And also, like, there's a point at which I think when she first slices through an onion to cut it in half, she's working so hard. <laughs> and later she talks about like sharpening your knife, and cl- yeah. clearly they gave her like the plastic knife to start with because it is an effort to push through that onion. Uh, she fucking loves to chop. I don't think I've ever seen her happier. Not mm-hmm. once. I don't mm-hmm. think in. When she goes home to Stanley Tucci and they hold each other because they love each other so much, even then in their most um, moments, in their moments filled with the, with the greatest ecstasy, she's much happier chopping onions. Mm -hmm. It's she is alive and she wants to show us that she loves it and that she's in control. And I kind of love her little show off peacocking. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. She then starts talking to us about a knife. And then she says, this is a wedge shaped knife, which I mean, okay, sure. Yeah. Uh, And it's 11 inches long. She felt like a little bit of bragging there. Sure. My opinion. Yeah. And maybe some, I don't know. What's dog whistling but for talking about how big your husband's cock is? <laughs> I, I think it's just, yeah, cuck, 11 cuck. inches long. She also says that you could uh, use a seven and a half inch one as well. And she shows, she compares them, you know, hey, mm-hmm. if you, you know, you want to have a chef's knife like this, uh, that's what chefs would use because it's a chef's knife. I mean, I wanted to go down a rabbit hole with her on why it's called a chef's knife. Uh, but then uh, she does bring out a smaller one and say, so you yeah. just need these two. She is exhausted. She is exhausted at this mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. She's spent and she still has 28 more minutes to go on the yes. show. Yes. Um, I want to bring some attention to this, uh, what I think must have been a very difficult thing for her to say. And I don't know how sincere she was being or if she was put up to it. But she says, there are some extremely good canned and packaged soups. And I thought, are there? I don't think you think that. Or are you just lining it up so that maybe at some point Dinty Moore or whomever is going to come along and throw a little cash down the PBS butthole. 
she's ready to go full denty and she always has been and just a special shout out to the hormel corporation just Mm. to let you know we are ready um for sponsorship and we're ready to go full denty just like julia would Mm -hmm. so let us know uh she also talks about on on that whole save about dried she's she does say when she's talking about the broth that needs to be used you know Listen, don't use it out of a can. If you use it out of a can, it's going to taste like the can. You might as well have just taken make, made French soup out of a can. Just heat it up from a can if you're going to use broth from a can, which I have to tell you, I fully agree with her. Mm. Do you remember when you could taste a tin can? Oh, yeah. And I think there were tin. Sure. Yeah. Even now, you can get some uh, canned vegetables that they don't have the um, special lining inside to kind yeah. of protect the the stuff from the from the metal, the food from the metal. So I know exactly what she's talking about, but it was also like it was it was pretty savage. Yeah, um, she uses the word in in talking about uh, you know store bought soups. She uses the word boughten. Did yes. you catch that? I did. What in the living fuck is going on? I've, <laughs> I'm ready to admit something. Okay. I remember in school using Boughton mm-hmm. in my writing. Mm-hmm. And I think I was probably seventh, eighth grade. Okay. When a teacher told me that's, that's not a word. <laughs> <laughs> and that so teacher I'm on her side. was Julia Child. <laughs> the teacher was Julia Child. Yeah, I um it felt nice to me. Mm, that it she felt used really, it. Really really nice. Mhm. Felt nice to me that she used it. I'm like what are they teaching these ladies at Smith College? Button. Um she does go on a bit of a rant back to knives. She does go on a bit of a rant on how to sharpen a knife. And mm-hmm. there's a moment when, again, she's peacocking mm-hmm. and, and she does this zips up against the steel. Yeah. And it's so fast. She takes the, the her 11-incher, her mm-hmm. full Tucci, mm-hmm. and um, she... she uses a um a butcher steel to sharpen it and she does it so fast it is so scary it's it, it's like horror movie now, i just last weekend watched texas chainsaw massacre the uh and i'd never seen it all before and i just i felt like it was a power move on her part where she would have felt fit right in with that entire family mm-hmm. it, and we're gonna yeah. play it right here so everybody can hear us stop Great. Okay. Terrifying. She emphasizes you have to get a butcher steel. And if you don't know where to, uh, if, if you don't know where to buy knives, ask your butcher. He'll tell you. Oh He'll God. tell you where to get the good ones, she says. This is the beginning of butchers being like, get the fuck out of my shop, lady. What am I, Google? Do you think she created sexy butchers? Oh my God. Yes. Totally. No, I don't know. Okay. Uh, yeah, I've, I've got nothing to say on that subject. That's fine. Um, she puts vermouth in instead of olive oil, and she has to just keep going. She put she, vermouth in? Yeah, she's, she starts the oh, pan no. with the oil, and she grabs the wrong bottle, and instead of putting in <laughs> oil, she goes, oh, I actually, I meant to put in oil, but I put in vermouth. Okay. <laughs> and she just keeps going. Good. And then she adds the stop. oil. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that's safe. It's fine. I mean, I'm sure it splattered like 
a lot, but maybe it added <laughs> to the flavor. But I was just like, really? She can't. I mean, I'm sure there's some, she had a mandate. It's like, doesn't matter what happens. Just keep going. Never stop. Yeah. Back to the knives. I'm really obsessed with her knives. Mm. She does a lot of knife work here. It's not me. It's her. I want to be really clear. She's Mm -hmm. the one focusing on knives. But she says that she, that knives are your life in the kitchen. Mm. Knives are your knife, your life in the kitchen. And when you are sharpening it against the butcher's steel, it's so sharp, she says, that when you run your hand on it, it feels sharp. Profound. Uh, and that she, that she, she pauses and she says, if you drew it across your hand, it would cut you right down to your bone. Julia! I know, right? Julia! Lady. What is happening? The feminine mystique. I mean, she's ready to kill. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we do learn in our interview, we learn in our interview with the directors of Julia, the documentary, that she, you know, she was not, well, maybe we learned it from the documentary, that she was not a CIA agent, but she right. just worked for that organization. But I, again, I question, I question. Yeah. I mean, if she was really an agent, would she say that she was an agent? Right. No. She's not. clearly ready to kill people. And yeah. I think she has. Oh, of course. Yeah. Absolutely. How many people has she killed? I'd say 24. Mm. yeah it's a good round number uh mm-hmm. yeah one for I, every hour in the day she would say yeah <laughs> she went on a rampage a single day's <laughs> rampage in another savage comment she says uh she takes her knives with her because householders again i don't know because mm. householders don't have the sharp knives so Julia would absolutely show up to your home if she were coming over with a knife with her own knives. That is a fuck you move. Yeah, I I absolutely respect and admire that, and I would do the same thing. I was if you came to my house, would you bring knives <laughs> to your house? No, probably okay. not. Uh, okay. To my parents' house, yes. Sure. I mean, I of haven't course. recently, but um, I was such a insufferable douchebag. Right, right after I graduated from high school or from high school right after I graduated from cooking school and I go to my parents house and try and like make all these pan sauces and just be like oh these knives and like oh your your dusty spices (laughs) they're just like okay do you remember who lent you the money to go to fucking cooking school like can we just eat dinner already god damn it oh my god she says the word there with a real tone in this episode have you noticed no tell me more she goes there 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 (laughs) she like really (laughs) there toward the end she lightens up and goes there there but while she's working she's fucking serious i i need to get back to the knives she has more to say about the knives you do well she does all right she says to immediately wash them Fine. I think we all know that. Mm-hmm. We don't do that. No. Anybody who does paid a lot for them. Fine. I don't pay a lot for them. Where did my knives come from? Do you remember? Joyce Chen. Cutco. No, but that was great. Cutco. Fisher Price. Correct. Okay. Cutco. Cutco. My wife sold Cutco for a day when mm-hmm. she was 18 or so. And all we got from it was our knife set. Are they great. good knives? No. <laughs> Are they? Do they cut things? Often. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Yes. It's fine. Do, do I put them in the dishwasher? Absolutely. Oh, my God. Why? Because they're cut go. Yeah. 
Because they're cut, cut. That's where they belong. They be- I should keep them in the dishwasher. You should keep them in the toilet. I, you know what? I should. Toilet knife. And I'm going to try <laughs> How many toilet knives do you have, sir? 42. Um, so she says to immediately wash them. Never, ever put them in uh, the dishwasher. She doesn't say why, um, but you shouldn't. Apparently it dulls them. And then um, she says, if they get stained, like I put lemon juice all over this one. I'm not going to do her voice, but mm-hmm. but she never explained herself. But she said right. to clean them. Sure. You get steel wool. A little bit of scouring powder that you put into a tiny bowl. You get the steel wool a little bit wet. Dab it into the scouring powder. And then fucking go to town on the knife to remove those stains. And then they're just like, just new. They're fine. It's great. It's great. She's finally done with knives. Except she needs to chop some more. So she fucking chops some more. So many onions. She says you can run through two to three pounds of onions in five minutes or less Mm -hmm. if you practice a week or two. So just get at it. And then she clears her throat. She is exhausted. She's Mm. done. We are four minutes into the show. (laughs) (laughs) She has so much further to go. All right. We're going to start giving you the recipe. Hold on. I have to cough. (coughs) Sorry. All right. You're going to do one and a half to two pounds of onions. Mm-hmm. That's going to make about five to six cups for six people. So you need five to six cups for, for six people. Chopped. Fine. Mm-hmm. A cup per person, a cup of onions. There you go. She does give you a little bit of a tip. Again, she's tangential. She says, if you want to get onion off your hands, mm-hmm. here's what you do. You run mm-hmm. it under cold water first. Mm-hmm. Then you add a teaspoon of salt. Rub that into your skin. Uh, wash that off again with the cold water, then wash in warm water and it will be gone. I thought that was fascinating. Yeah. RIP her fucking skin, man. Like that sounds so painful. Oh no, no, no. She has no skin left. Yeah. She wants to cook. You cook the onions. We're going to brown the onions or browned onions. Mm -hmm. All right. The recipe is five to six cups for six people of onions. One tablespoon of oil, two tablespoons of butter. Mm -hmm. Then you add in the onions. She says to use fresh onions. Lori, explain to I me, mean, what are unfresh onions? I guess they're the ones that are like all fucked up, you know, where you get mm. to like there's some mushiness. Mm. I don't know. I mean, does she, is she talking about don't use frozen Dehydrated? Onions? I, I, have frozen? No, I have no idea. I suppose she just means like not the old ones that have been rattling around in the bottom Fine. of your pantry or whatever. Fine. But I don't know. I mean... She then says that there are two ways that you can cook the onions. They're going. She's going to do an etouve, of course. <laughs> Etou frute uh, is, is what came to mind. Um, then you brown them moderate heat until tender and translucent. Okay, so she wants you to have it over moderate heat until mm-hmm. tender and translucent. And you put a lid on top. Am I describing the cooking technique correctly? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Sounds yeah. suspect, though. If you if you put uh, the lid on top, then all that moisture is going to stay in there. And it's going to really, stay there, but then gonna you're going to take it off. Okay. No, she doesn't want that. So you want to get them soft. Okay. And then you want to brown them, she says, Got which it. I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah. Okay. I thought that that's was a interesting. Good, I like that's a good that. technique. How did I? I was not paying as much attention. Wow. Um, 
She says, then uh, you could stop before you brown them and they're just soft and translucent. You could make white onion soup if you wanted to. She doesn't tell us what white onion soup is. Sounds terrible. Don't do it. Um, But we are going to brown them. To brown them, you're going to cook them for 25 to 30 minutes to brown them properly by adding a half teaspoon sugar to help them caramelize, also a teaspoon of salt. Mm -hmm. Stir frequently with a heavy bottom pan. What is a heavy bottom pan? Uh, it's a pan with a heavy bottom. It's uh, I, I don't think it's what she's using. Those things look rickety as fuck. But like, <laughs> who knows? I haven't been on that set, so it's possible that it's heavy bottom. But if it's a thin aluminum pan, your shit's gonna burn. So you want something okay. with a reinforced, you know, ideally a copper bottom. I have no idea if she was trucking in that stuff in the sixties. It seems unlikely, but you know, who knows? Uh, the Hills Brothers got some juice, maybe. Um, she says. If you want to get some personal flavor in your stock, which was so gross to think about. Like, what are you talking about? It's terribly easy. Then she oh, then she talks about how terribly easy it is to make beef stock. Just roast some beef bones in the oven and then simmer it's them so for easy. several hours with lots of different vegetables and continuously skim them. I'm like, It's so easy. Don't get canned. Don't get canned. Yeah. Before that, Lori, this was... This hurt me. She's mm. talking about adding three tablespoons of flour mm. to the onions once they're caramelized, right? Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. you get a little bit of a paste in there. It's going to thicken it up. Great. You want to brown the flour. Fine. So on board. But when she adds it, she says three tablespoons. And she says one heaping tablespoon of flour and one level tablespoon of flour so mm. if i did if i said teaspoon I, I apologize one heaping tablespoon of flour and one level tablespoon of flour equals three tablespoons and flour Lori, what is math <laughs> obviously it's uh completely unnecessary and just uh for for poor people i don't know i i don't <laughs> I don't know. That's a very weird. Yeah. It's like, well, how about just measure out three? I suppose it saves you a few seconds of time. I, but like, I just didn't understand it. Yeah. It's a weird. Maybe what she's saying is it doesn't matter. You need some flour. Mm. Yeah. But, you but, know, ugh, but you, I mean, I a cup know. and a teaspoon are two very different things. Yeah. That's a weird. I mean, I'm sure she's right, but it's like, come on. That's that's the chaos I'm talking about, among other things. But um, the switching back and forth between make your own stock and buy just full on buy canned French onion soup, and <laughs> she never really completes any of these tasks. Like no, she's, never. But guess what's back? The wire whip. The wire, <laughs> wire whip. whip. Oh, I was so happy to see that. Yeah. She goes to fucking town putting the stock in there and she's taking the stock from all the bones like she's dipping it out she's taking a ladle taking it out of the stock pot and i don't mean i i mean a pot with stock in it and all the bones and everything and then she's ladling it into her soup pan but through a strainer which is great i appreciate that um but it was it was wild it felt i you know what it felt chaotic you're right yeah it was a chaos episode a lot of chaos, so much stuff on her cooktop. And she was kind of like, what the fuck am I doing? Which, <laughs> what is happening? Um, I wrote in my notes at, next, just the words faking it with two exclamation points. And I have no idea what that means. I don't remember what I was talking about, but I, it was very uh, important to me uh, at the time. It might have been when she was talking about uh, she's going to, you need to cook it down mm. uh, before you put it into a big 
uh, soup pot? No, a casserole dish. Yeah. Uh, and she's like, oh, you need to cook this for a long time. But yeah. just pretend I did. And you do that at home. Maybe. Maybe that was Maybe. it. Yeah, it was weird. Um, and then the poaching of the eggs. Uh, oh. The white of the egg. I, I loved her little tip about um, simmering the egg in the shell in 10 seconds, uh, for 10 seconds in simmering water that keeps it from like going all splaying out and becoming a mess in the, in the poaching liquid. Um, that Amazing. was a, something I had never heard before. And I'm, I think it, uh, is a real I smart. think I missed that section entirely. Is that oh. where she was talking about, um, putting a, when you serve it in a single, single serving, you could potentially put an egg on top of it, a poached egg. This was, you didn't see this. She was, she was poaching the eggs, uh, in the, in the glass, oh. in the transparent pot. She had a star-shaped no. trivet. Wow. What are you talking you have, about? You Maybe I, oh, I may have had out. a blackout. I okay. may have had a blackout moment. All right. That's well then I will say, uh, you missed some comedy gold because she's, she's okay. poaching the eggs, um, the white of the egg, uh, she, you know, Puts the egg in the shell in simmering water for 10 seconds and then cracks it into the uh, the water to which she's added some vinegar. And the vinegar is known to uh, keep the proteins tight so that the poached mm-hmm. egg doesn't get all crazy. She cannot open the vinegar bottle. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on with this vinegar bottle? Is the vinegar bottle... How old is the vinegar that white vinegar is going to stick and she takes her fucking knife and whacks the top of that vinegar bottle and then she knocks it against the countertop. I was like, there is going to be an industrial accident. Uh, and she's pissed. She's like, I don't know why they put these things on too tight. <laughs> and eventually she gets the vinegar bottle open. She's talking about the, uh, the eggs and, and, you know, different, um, the fresher, the egg, uh, the, uh, more, um, the better it is for poaching. It all stays oh, nice. together. She goes, when the egg is sprayed out of the hen, that's when. <laughs> Did you miss that? <laughs> I didn't hear it, but I love it, and I'm really happy to know it. Keep going. Yeah. So it's minute. It's minute around minute thirteen, fourteen, when the egg is sprayed out of the hen, and then I just wrote, Great. "This is chaotic." Um, <laughs> that is so fucking gross. Like I don't know what kind of chickens she's been living around, but like, ew. I I don't know. Did, have you ever had chickens? Maybe no. And maybe uh, she's not wrong. Maybe she. That's her assassin. That's her method of assassination. Is like a fucking <laughs> chicken that just like hurts you with its eggs. She says, "If you could, I'm sorry. If you could shoot something out of you anywhere, mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. anywhere, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be from your cloaca, uh, but it could be anywhere. What would you shoot out of yourself?" Vomit. To hurt people, to vomit. hurt other people. Like real acidic vomit. hot vomit, yeah. I would so. do circus peanuts. Oh, <laughs> of course. Out of what part of your body, Chris? I feel like my asshole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or? Dickhole. Mm-hmm. My, my tucci. That would hurt so much. I would do full tucci. Um, but if your urethra was nice and large, like if you had a girthy <laughs> urethra... <laughs> I want up my finger. <laughs> my fingers to just emphasize, like you know, I'd say a good inch or two. Yeah. I feel like I feel like you could get at least a circus peanut through there. You would have to take your pants off every time you wanted to to uh, aggress I don't think you have someone. To, no, no, no. You, you learn go straight how to, through the pants. You 
just no, up and, you up and learn, over. Well, when you, you learn at some point, at least most people do who um, pee standing up uh, or like to or can or want to, mm-hmm. how to do it without dropping your entire pants. Okay. Got it. Right. So I feel like I could just do a frontal and sure. keep my, my ass covered. Great. Um, or if I do it through my ass, what, what if I do it through both? Just circus peanuts front, front and, and back, back and I spin around yes. and take people down. Yes. I love it. Yeah. Thank you. That's great. Uh, love that for you. Thank you. Uh, Julia goes, that looks good, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> and then again, she says, there. <laughs> there. It's a command. It's a statement. It's a It's a state of mind. There. She sounds now, so pissed. Did you get to the croots? The the the, or the croats. Yeah, the uh the the bread rounds. Yeah, and she says it's C for crust. And that's so what they weird. are. They're to- and she spells it all R O U T E S. And that's what they are. They're toasted crusts of bread. Yeah. And that really makes it. Now, she says toasted crust of bread, but then she starts cutting off one inch chunks of French bread. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's not crust of bread. It's bread. It's yeah. bread. Yeah. It's bread. So you're going to paint each side, she says, with olive oil, 325, 15 minutes each side of the oven. Yeah. All right. And she says uh, olive oil makes it taste better. Who knew? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you hear the part where she said, a peasant system of eggs? Yeah, I know, I didn't. Like, Jesus Christ, class war. <laughs> Did you hear when she said, onion soup, gratin, yay? And then, <laughs> so I spelled it gratin and then Y A Y. Oh. Gratin, yay. Yes, I'm sure that's exactly what she meant. That's what she meant. Yeah. That's what she meant. Did you see when she said that you do some French touches um, at the mm-hmm. end after you mm-hmm. pour it into a casserole dish? And I don't know why in my head French onion soup has to be served like they do in a restaurant in individual crocs. Serving crocs, right? Yeah. And my mother-in-law has those, you know, the brown crocs. Yep. And sometimes so, okay. it has like a handle on well, it. Oh, it's oh, you fucking are right. It has a handle on there. Yeah. And but a French touch is you could add some cognac. That's always yeah. nice. Just and, just some raw ass liquor. Just throw that right into your soup. <laughs> oh, Delicious. she says it it'll, it'll cut it'll it'll bake off. It'll bake mm. off. Uh, but then to add a little bit of raw onion adds mm-hmm. uh, the je ne sais quoi. Yeah to it, it and you can do that with your poor ass canned french onion soup as well yes. to really uplift it yes fine i did like that that was a she good also tip. suggests red wine again we're just pouring raw red wine into soup <laughs> like just call it a fucking cocktail hour and dispense with the pretense that you're eating food disgusting add some grated swiss cheese to make it gooey she puts it in the cheese so i was lost yeah or she puts it in the soup she puts the cheese in the soup totally lost then you put your toasted bread in you do a mixture of swiss and parm a half inch thick on top Mm -hmm. Uh, make sure none of the bread is exposed or it will burn a little bit of olive oil 30 minutes at 350 then it's going to be done and the cheese will be melty but it's not browned Mm -hmm. so you're going to do one minute in the broiler to brown the cheese camera is out of control yeah. Camera was out of control. Did you see it? Yes. Yeah. So it went they, up to the sky, looked at Jesus, yeah. up in heaven, and then finally came back down. Yeah. Yeah. Terrifying. It was a t- tough moment for everybody. So then she's done. She's done. She doesn't know what to do. She takes it over to the table. And again, we've got, you know, the junior league buffet for, yep. you know, uh, 
whatever fucking post tennis orgy on the table. Um, <laughs> so many green beans. Like, what's happening? Uh, and rosé. Rosé. Yeah. You can do it with a mountain red. She says a California mountain red. I don't know what a mountain red is. Mm, that's a uh, the blood of your enemies. I think. <laughs> fine. I I, that's um, fine. It was a great episode uh, overall. Oh, so I good. Think, you know all of these little tips. The tip about the poached egg. The tip about yeah. the you know removing the first top couple of layers of skin on your hands in order to get yeah. rid of the onion. Yeah. The knife sharpening. A lot of little tricks. I think she. So you know, many. She's the really... grated onion in at the end mm-hmm. to really to hit that je ne sais quoi. Right. I I loved it. How many wire whips would you give it out of five? Five. Yeah, agreed. I, had, I felt so much pleasure watching this uh, episode. It was it was fun. Yeah, yeah. It was fun. Uh, do I? From watching it, do I feel like I know how to make French onion soup? Definitely not. Definitely oh, see, I not. do. Mm-hmm. I do. Okay. I feel like I could make that without looking back at the recipe. Huh. All right. Uh, she lost me at. Hello. Yeah, I'm here. She lost me <laughs> at. Uh, the, it was the egg yolk and the cognac. I guess that's where I actually that was you know tough. That's where I that stopped paying tough. attention. I was that like, was I real tough. I'm going to agree. When me. she said put an egg, and I was like, what an egg? But apparently, yeah. I missed her cooking the egg. So yeah. I don't know. Anyway, don't know. it was fine. I mean, I can make French onion soup. Um, I know you can, but from that, I think you're saying no. She just it was the two all the back and forth with the swap outs and the canned and the homemade. The wild swinging between class signifiers. Yeah. Uh, and uh, anyway, great job. Five stars. Loved it. Uh, yeah. Everyone Way watch better it. than the Queen of Sheba cake oh episode. God. Yeah, let's not even talk about that shit. Uh, that so was... I'm looking forward to the next the next one. I have a lot of Me energy too. and a lot of uh, excitement toward this process. Let's take a look at what the next one is. We are going to do, ca- is it casserole roast chicken? It's tough, and I'm ready for it. I can't wait. Let's wrap it up. Let's welcome our guests, Julia Cohen and Betsy West, talking about their documentary, Julia. Also, hi. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Are you exhausted yet? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Lori's just... Lori's still on her book tour, so I think she understands what yes. you're probably going through. Yeah, it's winding down, but it is uh, it, it's it's wild how how just talking about yourself and your project and your passions can still be uh, exhausting. Yes, it but it's better than <laughs> nobody asking you about them. <laughs> Fair enough. That is true. Fair enough. That is true. So, Chris, uh, do you mind if I start? Oh, I'd love it. Okay. So we both watched the film and thought it was great. And yeah. uh, we've had a little, some discussion about it. Um, so, and I don't know if you know, for our podcast, we watched, I think, three episodes of, of Julia, right, mm-hmm. Chris? From I mm-hmm. believe from the first uh, early, early seasons. Yep. Um, so we listened and we kind of recapped uh, in a way that, uh, you know, was fun and maybe a little bit irreverent, but... Um, ultimately, you know, recognizing that, you know, Julia really, uh, started something, uh, that really just hadn't been, been done before. Um, so 
regarding this film, so this film and, and then your previous film uh, about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, both Julia and Justice Ginsburg are uh, held up as a kind of feminist icons for women of a certain age and a certain social standing. Uh, and I'm wondering if either of you, do, do you see Julia as a feminist? And did, did she self-identify self as a feminist? Uh, Julia did not self-identify as a feminist. You know, really the terminology that came up a lot in her day was women's liber. Um, mm. Almost mm. by definition, that was uh, seen as kind of a derogatory term. Like you were didn't necessarily love to identify oneself as women's liber. So it seems somehow a little bit unfair to have expected that she might have identified that way because after all there was a perception that people who some women supporting women's lib were too serious you know no sense of humor man hating you know there's just sort of like unattractive like all this sort of baggage around that so no julia did not identify as a feminist and yet um, she was out there, a working woman, a woman who was presenting herself accurately as an expert to the public, who was being her authentic self and, you know, certainly no one's typical sex symbol. Um, we think she's a terrific feminist icon, uh, you know, whether she knew it or not at the time. Absolutely. I mean, Julia broke barriers in the kitchen, first at the Cordon Bleu, and then she broke barriers on television. Uh, there'd really never been a woman like Julia Child on television with that kind of authority, uh, teaching people what to do. Uh, and, and she also just had a tremendous impact on the world. I think, you know, many, many women consider Julia a role model. When I saw Rachel Portman's name pop up, I was so happy. Uh, she means a lot to our family. Uh, we've listened to her music since our children were very, very young. I love the movement of, of her music and helping tell the story. Can you talk about that collaboration with, with Rachel Portman in, in bringing this movie together? Yeah, well, we were pretty excited uh, when we were able to land Rachel Portman <laughs> right? to compose our film, frankly. Um, you know, she's just fantastic, but mainly known for doing narrative films. And, mm -hmm. you know, we particularly th thought of Chocolat, you know, and that sort of French idea and approached her. Uh, she's a very busy person and she has a kind of different way of working than a lot of composers we've worked with. I mean, we talked to her at length before the project, before she agreed, like what our vision was and what we were going to do. And then we uh, basically put the film together using temp music and some of her music, frankly, mm -hmm. temp music. Mm -hmm. And then we had this crazy session with her on Zoom because she was in England and we were in the US and we went through every single music cue in the film. And she would say, okay, you know, just like, what are you trying to get at here? You know, give me some adjectives. So we'd like, you know, we'd throw out adjectives, you know, adventure, hmm. uh, excitement. We're just like yelling words. It's <laughs> <laughs> writing them down like this went on, you know, for several hours where we were just kind of, uh, doing this free association with Rachel Portman. And then, yeah. then she went off and lo and behold, just composed this beautiful score. It is. Every single uh, cue really worked. And we think 
just evolved from, uh, you know, Julia's earliest, you know, beginnings through the French adventure and on television, everything. I mean, we just, we loved working with Rachel. So thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Lori? Yes. So uh, I'm curious about the challenges that you faced in making a film about a deceased subject uh, versus making uh, the, the RBG film in which you had access to the living subject. And wondering, um, did you find that people were more willing to speak freely about Julia or in some ways more inhibited because she was not around to sort of, uh, you know, uh, confirm or deny facts and recollections. Uh, uh, what was, what was, what was the experience like, uh, making that? Yeah, I think the people, the people who spoke to us about Julia were absolutely willing to speak quite openly. The challenge of course, was making sure that people, you know, wanting to reach people who were still living. And there was one sadness in that the editor that really discovered Julia and made the decision to publish Mastering the Art of French Cooking, uh, Judith Jones had, had passed away before we started our film. Um, but beyond that, there were so many people who were close to Julia in all different phases of life, who were around, who were quite open. And frankly, having the experience, because Betsy and I have had the experience of interviewing people of all different ages and generations, and there's like nothing as cool as interviewing mm. people in their 80s and 90s who are so much, more, so much more individual talkers. Like these aren't people who grew up with a very clear idea of what a soundbite has to be. So everyone seems more like themselves and also like have amazing lived experiences to tell and also just are not inhibited <laughs> about like, mm -hmm. they're gonna say what they're gonna say. Like it's a, you know, I mean, Danielle Delpush, the amazing uh, French chef who was uh, the first French chef for a head of state for Francois Mitterrand, who was just such so great at evoking the sexism and French kitchens and like just her eye rolling and her sauciness and like, you know, just amazing people and really fun to give perspective on Julia and the context that she worked in. Uh, another question about the, the, the interviews. Um, how did you go about deciding which sort of current culinary stars to include in the film? Uh, you know, people like Jose Andres and Marcus Samuelson are, and, you know, Ruth Reichel are very, uh, extremely recognizable, and we've seen them, um, you know, sort of uh, be the the signifiers in a way for you know what is what is currently uh, the the portrait of success as, as a media savvy chef. Uh, but I don't, you know, it was it wasn't clear to me that Jose or Marcus in particular had careers that were necessarily impacted by Julia's trailblazing. And I'm wondering, is there some mandate uh, from the distributor or the funders or, or from your own um, sensibilities about having these people that are instantly recognizable, you know, current culinary celebrities to sort of balance out the, 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 the more obscure uh, interview subjects in the film? Yeah. I mean, you know, we also had Jacques Pepin, Ina Garten in there. I mean, we were really, uh, pleasantly surprised when we reached out to Jose Andres and Marcus and to Ina, their, their attitude about Julia. We thought, well, maybe, you know, Julia's a little passe and they knew about her, but they were so passionate. We were actually at an award ceremony where Jose Andres got the Julia Child Award and in Washington and was just going on and on about her. So I think 
you know, yes, obviously we wanted to connect Julia's story. We want to connect Julia's story to as broad an audience as possible. We were under no mandate from distributors or anybody else. I mean, it, it's our film, but it, it's just what we'd like to do and to, to really show the impact that we feel that Julia had on the world, you know, an impact that's here today, you know. I'm friendly. I'm not going to say friends. I'm friendly with some of the people on Food Network right now, right? And I know Lori knows people in, in food media. And I'm, I was struck by the difference between what I think is demanded now of food, of people within food and personalities, chefs, cooks, um, who, who are in, in media, uh, and how we have to have a sense of knowing who they are not just what they do or what they can help us do. I was and, and I was comparing that to how I know of Julia and, and what your documentary showed me. I think I know her work more than her. And I don't know if you found that or if that was just me coming at it and, and that she didn't have to expose everything. She didn't have to tell her inner life on her show to make you feel connected to her. She was there to do a job, which was to help you cook and make sure that, that you felt like you could do it, at least in my opinion. Did you view her differently as you were trying to tell her story? Yeah, you know, I think the demands on an on-camera celebrity have evolved probably in a bad way over the decades uh, since Julia's time, where there's like so many things that you have to be, and you have to at least be showing maybe a fake persona of, <laughs> of yourself. I mean, the great thing about Julia was how authentically herself she was. But yeah, like she's giving you her personality, but she was not talking about her private life on her show. She was like, she was doing her thing. Certainly, we felt like we didn't, when we started this project, didn't really know her that much beyond the TV persona. And we were excited to start digging through a whole, you know, ev basically everything we could find that existed, um, not only written material, but just like a lot of audio interviews and video interviews of Julia, some which had gotten some attention, others which actually had, were really created for archives and had never been, you know, made public uh, uh, before or, or, or been used um, sort of in a journalistic or filmmaking uh, kind of way. So hearing her describe in later life, her descriptions of her early life and really getting a sense of, uh, you know, what the experience uh, and the joy of discovering like how much you can love and delve into food like we just wanted the our audience to feel the feelings that she felt when she discovered mm. the, the the joy yeah, of getting into the yeah. perfect saumonier that that moment uh stuck out so clearly as this aha moment for her of i've I found it i want to know more it was a, it was a beautiful moment yeah i mean and we were helped tremendously by all the photographs that her doting husband took of Julia, which are in the archive. And, you know, with this is something we we weren't expecting or always looking for behind the scenes footage and other things, but the photographs really brought to life um, th those earlier days in, in a way that uh, helped our, our efforts. Uh, I wanted to ask uh, there, um, you know, there, there has, this is not the first uh, exploration of Julia's life. We had uh, Julie and Julia, the film from 2009. Uh, and there are plenty of people who before that, and certainly after that have cooked their way through a part or all of mastering the art of French cooking. 
And then there was My Life in France, which was co-authored with uh, Julia's grandnephew, um, Alex Prudhomme. So I'm, I'm wondering, are there parts of Julia's story that might still be a surprise to people who have already really engaged in all of this, not only Julie, the work that Julia did directly, but all of the work that people have done in reaction to her? Uh, you know, what what parts of her story, if any, are still, uh, you know, left undiscovered by these previous works? You know, I think a lot of it is just the opportunity to hear it in Julia's own voice. And mm. uh, that was, I think that's really what motivated us towards this project is wanting to like, we loved everything that you're talking about. I mean, we, we actually, I don't, I had not read my life in France before we got into this project. And of course we were working with with Alex um, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, him being a subject of the film and, um, you know, go, going from, from some of the materials in that book as well as other biographies of Julia. But like, it's one thing to read the stuff and it's one thing to hear Meryl Streep, like love Meryl Streep, but to mm -hmm. like have it coming from Julia's mouth while you're actually seeing the episodes because we wanted mm -hmm. to make the episodes of The French Chef and other shows, but especially The French Chef, really part of this film. And then trying to mix that in with seeing the food, actual Julia recipes, but, but, but you know, prepared just as she did, but with cinematography that just didn't exist during Julia's era. So it was really just mm -hmm. a new way to combine the stuff that we thought might make it make you feel it deeper in every way, except of course you can't taste the film. Hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, that's one of the things that, that struck me as, as I was watching it was <laughs> Lori and I watched one episode of her show, black and white, um, black and white film just wasn't doing justice to, to the food. In fact, it was, it was making it making me think I would never make that. I don't ever want to eat that the way that it looks on TV. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I really love the use of color and the, the, the movement of food and, and the way it was styled. You, you truly make it, make us see it and with fresh eyes. So I, I love that part of it. Yeah. I mean, that was a really fun part for us, a challenge. We'd never done anything like this before. And uh, we actually had two cinematographers, our, our regular uh, DP, Claudia Rashke, who filmed, uh, in a kitchen that we built in Manhattan, in a studio in Manhattan, where uh, Susan Spungen, the food stylist, prepared, who was also the food stylist for Julie and Julia, mm -hmm. prepared the recipes. And uh, Claudia was filming there. We also um, did a shoot in Paris with uh, Nanda Bretelard, who's a cinematographer who specializes in food photography. And, you know, he's doing, you know, really sort of nano photography almost, you know, in slow-mo and using special cameras to, And um, so the recipes were also prepared in Paris. And then our incredible editor edited, edited this all together so that it each dish that's being prepared looks seamless, although Part of it was prepared in New York and some of the shots were in Paris. So it was, uh, it was a fun challenge for us. Amazing. Uh, what about the fact that this is a film that's coming out uh, when we're still dealing with, with COVID and still dealing with uh, people's reluctance to gather? Um, how has that impacted the, the rollout of it? You know, were there, are there, are there still, uh, you know, parties and events and, and, and opportunities for people to gather? Is it is it more a, a streaming event for people at this point? And you know how 
How are you handling sort of the current circumstance that we find ourselves in? Yeah, well, it's both and it's everything. Um, you know, we want to manage to bring it to people in whatever way that they want it. And our distributors, Sony Pictures Classics, actually held off a while to, you know, till they there was going to be some real potential for people that wanted to come see this in theaters to see it in theaters, because there is something very special about seeing that pear tart like on a giant, giant screen. Um, you know, the, the pandemic, what we, we started this project before the pandemic. Uh, one of the last most memorable things that Betsy and I did before lockdowns and shutdowns was in the fall of 2019 to take a week long trip to Paris and, uh, and Provence to really, uh, you know, it, like it was a magical trip anyway, but a couple months later when everyone was like stuck in their homes and it like it just it sort of took on this very dreamlike quality to think about that beautiful week that that we spent in France and of course it was a time when people were so deeply getting into what Julia had been championing all along like home cooking great ingredients prepare them at home serve them to your own pod she didn't use those words but that's a lot of what she was about mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, we are looking forward to people seeing the film on a big screen because we do think that the food photography shows up very well there. And, you know, we're happy that so many theaters are putting precautions in place and doing, you know, testing and vaccine requirements and masks. And, um, you know, we have been to a few screenings and it sure is a lot of fun <laughs> to be with an audience enjoying Julia together. So, uh, Julie and Betsy, you've worked together for how long? Do you know? Ten well, years. Yeah. In a way, yeah. In a yeah. way ten years. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so around a decade. Oh, so that's about as long as it took um, uh, Julia to to create the <laughs> the book with her collaborators. Yeah. Um, why do you work together? Why does this collaboration work so well and produce so many great things? You know, um, I think uh, that we have genuine respect for each other, number one, and we also have similar sensibilities in terms of documentaries, what we like and um, how we work. We just, uh, it's like two heads are better than one in mm -hmm. a way, you know, mm -hmm. and we can uh, make the major decisions together, but then rely on each other when we sort of divide and conquer things and know that, you know, not that we don't sometimes disagree, but generally we're on the same path. And, you know, I, I think it's fantastic to have a partner who you can bounce ideas off of and you can check in with, which we do pretty regularly my husband's like it's julie again yes <laughs> or i'm calling julie or just wait a minute because you know we um it, but it's it's great yeah i mean we both share really the same goal of what we want our movies to be we are big believers in documentaries that people will enjoy watching that's you know that's that's maybe that, that's definitely one of our one of the top couple priorities is that the experience of watching it is going to feel great and you're going to be really immersed in it and if it ends up being a romantic comedy and a date movie like we're all for that and we tend to bring on people who feel the same way Carla Gutierrez who edited both Julia and RBG like we're all like we like stuff that's funny we like stuff that's romantic we like stuff that's maybe a little hard tugging when it mm -hmm. if, if need be like if it's all if it's all going to be you know we want to say have something to say that means something but we also want it to be really fun to watch 
cut it. Uh, well, what do you think, Chris? Are we? I got a couple more. Can oh, I go? okay. Is that sure. okay? Yeah, yeah. Are we, we okay on time? We have an out in about three, about three minutes. So let's oh, well then let's not. Yeah. Let's. You oh do no, I do. I do want to know. I want. I want to know this. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that you do so nicely is you feature the writing, the correspondence uh, between. Paul and Julia and, and Julia and everybody else, right? And, and how the, when she moved, was was it to the south of France and had to communicate through letters and, and collaborate with, uh, via writing. Uh, and you feature that. One, one moment that, that struck me so much is as she's talking with or writing to one of her collaborators that this is our life work, that this book is our life work. And I was just so struck by that. Um, but it wasn't just her life work. I think that felt like that maybe this is all I'll ever do and it will be great. Um, what, when you look at her life, how, I'm asking you to sum up a, an incredible person's life in a couple sentences, but what do you think is her life work? What, what are you left with after having um, gone so deeply into her life? What is her life work in your mind? You know, I think Julia's life work was finding a passion for cooking, for food, and then bringing that passion to the American public and changing the way we shop for food, the way we prepare food, the way we enjoy and eat food together. Uh, Julia just uh, changed our world. And, you know, she may not have known that was her life work at the beginning, but she certainly did have a, a passion that she wanted to convey to other people. And lo and behold, she sure did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we think and hope that the film really shows the deep emotional experience that it was for Julia when she when French food kind of overtook her whole life. And she just wanted to take that, you know, that emotional experience and help share it with other people. Um, and like our goal with the film is pretty much the same thing. Like it's like it, it connects to like little synapses in your brain when you're thinking about that food and the love of it and the joy of it and what it can bring to your life to prepare it and savor it. And that means something. And Ju Julia knew it and she shared it and we're into sharing it too. Great. Thank you so much, yeah, both you. of you. Thank this you. Really, nice really to lovely to, to talk to you. All right, Lori, let's close it out. Great guests. Really interesting documentary. And I got to say, I'm looking forward to next week's or next next episode. Yeah, same. Hard same. We're going to start coming out with episodes rapid fire, by which I mean once every two or three months yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh yeah because now we've we've uh watch along yeah watch along i if i were to make a t-shirt mm. for this part of for this mini series i would say five wire whips yeah absolutely let's get some merch going one right. thing I love on Twitter after the uh, new episode of Succession airs on Sunday nights is, uh, I think it's Maris Griezmann, uh, puts up, tag yourself uh, from the latest episode episode of Succession, I'm Greg's rum and coke, yep. I'm sure. a sturdy birdie, I'm the eunuch that marries Tom. 
Uh, it's great fun. So maybe we could do a little bit of that. We could just absolutely steal that idea wholesale for okay. tag yourself from this episode of uh, The French Chef. All I, right. Tag I yourself. Canned consomme. I am raw grated. I am Fantastic. Thanks, everyone. We love you. We do. Thanks for listening and thanks for being so excited when we put out a new episode. I get the nicest notes from people saying we've missed you. Thank you so much. Okay, bye. Okay, bye.